Hello, this is Todd O'Brien, your host, and welcome to Evolve, the Entrepreneur Mindset. My name is Lynn Zovikian. My superpower is raspberry wisdom. Today, I am feeling like I am being put to the test as a business owner and a peace builder. My guest today is an inspiration to life. She is a business and peace builder. She is the co-founder and MD of the Zovigian Partnership, where they are growing a portfolio of innovative social impact initiatives. She leads key philanthropic initiatives in the Middle East through a social investment platform and also a prototype lab called the Peace Connection. There, they are focused on high-risk conflict zones related to education, women, children, minority groups, and other empowerment opportunities with a mission to serve communities. She is a TEDx speaker. She is also a columnist at the Anhard newspaper, where she leads conversion toward world change. Please welcome to the show, Lynn Zovigian. Hello. Great to have you here today. I want to thank you so much for joining me. You have an amazing story, and I can't wait to dive into some of these things. But I want to just kick off with just a simple question for you. Being a founder or an entrepreneur is really hard work, as you know. I want to know how mindset and self-awareness has really played a part for you in becoming who you are today. Well, firstly, thank you so much for for having me. I'm super thrilled to be speaking about business and life and what it has required for me to become who I am and who I continue to strive to be. So really, really thank you. To your question, yes, it's hard work. And what does it take? It's always taken more than I've suspected. Whenever I've had very empowering tipping points, it's always been easiest and it's always been natural. I think what I've learned by being a business builder is I just need to be really good at being me. My business needs to be what I'm best at and I need to be best fit to serve my business and to serve my team and to serve our clients and to serve our mission at large. The mindset is one where I personally have had to really move away from communicating who I am or moving away from a strategy of what we need to be and how I need to be it to just being me. I'm always going to be at my best if I'm just myself, but obviously myself is a force. To make it a force, I need to invest in it and reinvest in it. So I need to also always work really hard on who I am. But I think really the mindset is to just be you and immerse in you. That's great. You know, you are tackling some huge world problems. I mean, if if you look at what it is that you guys are prototyping and how you're working with these different peoples in these different communities, it is heavy and large work that you're doing, which probably takes a lot out of you. And I just wonder, like, how do you draw energy around you to show up in that world every day? It's it's a lot. And I'm just really curious about that. That's such a lovely question, because maybe I can give actually a, an example to sort of demonstrate my answer to you, Todd. Sure. Working with my Yazidi friends who've been based in Sinjar and Iraq and uh, are also part of some of the Yazidi diaspora around the world, we have been dealing over the last five and a half years with a genocide. 
by Daesh mm. and human lives have been deeply impacted. There has been an attempt to obliterate and demolish community and identity mm. and doing so through the most torturous methods of sexual enslavement, destroying and killing men and retraining young boys. So it's a complete obliteration of community that has been attempted and it's failed. It's failed absolutely miserably. Even if we have lost a lot of lives, the community has taken a terrible hit and today lives in atrocious conditions, um, internally displaced in Iraq and also displaced as refugees outside in countries that are not so capable of hosting these refugee communities. But I want to speak to the concept of energy because energy has been crucial to always getting right when I have been serving alongside and for my Yazidi friends. Yeah. I have always stepped in with a desire to support the healing process and to acknowledge and have the tough conversations that are not always easy to have. I want to give an example of justice and the importance of having the Yazidi genocide recognized um, by the international community. And that's very important. And that has happened in many, many countries. I, as a part Armenian, uh, believe in this because we have not had our genocide rightfully recognized as of yet. But healing and justice for me are forms of energy because I have, from the very beginning, played a role with my friends of serving as a centered, grounded magnet consistent stopping point. Yeah. Let's work together. Let's speak together in a way that is therapeutic, in a way that is healing, in a way that is consistent with our values and our missions and our principles. And so for me, energy is a responsibility. It is a tough environment that we have worked in. My Yazidi friends have been at the heat of it all. It is my responsibility to always be giving energy. But if I want to give energy that is positive and healing and whole, I also have to learn how to feed myself. Mm. I can't give and not receive. Sure. And so I think for me, how have I drawn this energy? I think my Yazidi friends have given me so much of that energy just by being brilliant in who they are and restoring a deep sense of humanity um, in me. I believe that despite how vulnerable and disempowered we are, we can still accomplish. I think my Yazidi friends have brilliant testament to that. And that has been an incredible, rich, rich resource for me. And I have counted on it. I do my part and they do their mm. part. And it's been a beautiful partnership. And it's been a very energetic partnership. Yeah. Um, no pun intended. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, just watching, uh, and we're doing this on a Zoom call, but just watching your face when you talked about this was was very moving to me because you can feel like the deep passion in, in the work that you're doing and drawing energy from these people around you is so important to you. So I really appreciate you you diving into that and explaining that because a lot of times it's easy to sort of pass over this very important part of doing really difficult work is that you need a community, you need people around you. It's really inspiring to hear you talk about that. And I wonder like each morning or each week or whatever, what sort of intentions do you set in your mind to really help you live out this calling? Probably what I will speak to is not always something I'm able to practice. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I'm still learning. We all are. Um, we all are. How to do it consistently. <laughs> <laughs> the theme of responsibility and service really hold you accountable to taking care of yourself. Mm. 
I I got sick a, a couple of years ago, and I was in bed for five months because we found a mass in my brain, wow. and and I ended up having a craniotomy. And I spent a lot of time in bed. I had to heal physically, and I had the chance to also really have a strong spiritual core that took really good care of yeah. me um, during that time. But it was also a time where I was constantly feeling like people are counting on me. And people need me. I need to heal really quickly, yeah. <laughs> much faster than what my neurosurgeons, yeah. neurologists <laughs> were requesting. Yeah. I quickly learned that if I could just take care of myself, I was going to do a great service to everybody around mm. me. It was a mindset shift, but it became very quickly apparent because I had some complications and sensitivities towards the treatments that I was taking, some of the medication that I was taking. Frankly, my, my body um, got really hit hard by having such an invasive operation. Sure, There was a mindset shift where it just taught me that if I want to be an oxygen tank, let me first learn how to self-preserve oxygen mm. and how to put myself first, not because of me, but because of others. Yeah. And when you are in a mind of service, frankly, just feels very natural coming back to what I was trying to say earlier. It became a natural instinct. Okay. If I want to serve, then I need to be capable of it. Yeah. I can't be irresponsible in my service. I'm either going to serve brilliantly to the best of my ability or what, then I'm no longer best fit to be serving and I need to step away. And because I was committed to continue to serve, it became very easy for me to acknowledge that actually it's not about putting me first. It's about putting my responsibilities first. And so I need to come first. A very powerful message indeed that I think we all can learn from. So thank you for saying that. I don't think I'm always good at doing that now that I'm no longer in bed. <laughs> yeah. It's so easy to get caught back into, you know, Todd, I, I sometimes have months where I travel I take 18 flights a month sometimes. Wow. I sometimes work outrageous hours. I have a team to take care of. There are families to feed and serve. There are lots of people whom we end up being responsible for. It's very easy to forget what I learned the hard way. Yeah. Just because I'm having that adrenaline kick or because I'm very excited about what I am doing. So yes, I'm going to be in Riyadh in the morning and in Medina in the afternoon, and I'm going to land in Jeddah. <laughs> you know, it's so easy to get caught back into what success looks like or what people think success should look like. I mean, it's kind of cool to be jet setting yeah. all the time, you know, but is that the right way to do it or the best way to do it or the just way to do it? A lot of those principles, um, I realize sometimes I continue to have conflicts with them because I was really good at them when I was in bed. Yeah. But now that I'm healthy and fit again, it's very easy to um, to dismiss some of these important lessons that life taught me. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. You're exactly right. And I think we all struggle sometimes to put the work above ourselves, even though we're doing good work for other people or we're bringing something into the world that we think is going to change, fundamentally change the world. There needs to be enough for us as well, too. And we need to feed ourselves and those decisions. So thank you for saying that. We're going to take just a quick break with Todd and Maddie. We have had some interesting conversations today. Mm -hmm. I like conversations. They're great to talk, but it's also great to listen. It's a hard 
hard skill. And I got to be honest, not everyone in my life is a great Uh-oh. listener. Okay, time to go deeper. My boyfriend. <laughs> I would consider it selective listening or selective hearing rather. I think you're not alone in the relationship world. I'm clearly not alone because something incredible called Listenly exists. And that proves that I am not alone. So Listenly allows you to have a listening session with a mindfulness practice practitioner. How would you use it? Listen, like I'm an introvert. Oh, you are. And sometimes I get in my tunnel for a long, long time. And after is when I really want to be listened to, because then I have all these ideas and I have all these thought processes. I process things about myself. Right. So I could use Listenly and I could get a discount. We have a discount. It's welcome 20 is the code that you enter and you get a, uh, a discount of your first session with Kyle. And she's offered this to us. So check her out at listenly.co. You made me really curious in the beginning when you were talking about your superpower. So I'm really curious about what Raspberry Wisdom, this superpower, is. Unfold this for us. And I want to I want to hear this. <laughs> Sure. I'd love to. I must say, speaking of lessons learned and unlearned, I haven't even really thought or spoken about raspberry wisdom in a while. So very nice to get this question from you this evening. Raspberry wisdom comes from the day that I understood what was lodged in my brain. A mass, a benign tumor in a very difficult area of the brain, the right frontal lobe. And it's a type of tumor that bleeds when it gets activated and a coagulation of different blood vessels that come together. And if it's really bad, it deposits iron, which was my case and it bleeds and it grows. The brain's not really happy with that. It's an intruder. And so in the medical lingo of the hallways of, I guess, hospitals and medical clinics, neurosurgeons and neurologists call this a raspberry. Oh, okay. It's just a nicer way of visualizing and communicating a rather monstrous culprit. When I learned that this is called raspberry, I found it to be very friendly and it allowed me to take a hold of and almost cradle. And I decided that I wasn't going to reject this raspberry. This raspberry is a part of me. And so when I was in the operating room, my neurosurgeon was getting ready to get the anesthesia going. I actually put his hand aside and I said, I just need to ask one thing of you before you dive in. I told him, I said, I'm giving you permission to release my raspberry, but all of its wisdom, you need to keep all of this wisdom tucked in the folds of my brain. I don't want to let any of the wisdom go. He's a lovely gentleman and he gathered all of the OR staff around my bed and he said, has everybody heard that? We're going to be taking care of this raspberry wisdom. And about three hours later, I woke up and nailed an IQ test. (laughs) The wisdom was still there. (laughs) It was all going to be fine from there. Yeah. Actually, Todd, I mean, what's the date today? It's November 21. Yes. November 28, 2017 was the date of my surgery. Oh, wow. So that's, that's raspberry wisdom for you. It's a lifetime companion that has taught me the hard way and the natural way to be instinctive, to be bold, to be me mm. unapologetically, and to be ferocious. 
ferocious towards life, ferocious towards what I care for. And uh, I think those are, that's a lovely life companion to have, hopefully, for the rest of my life. Wow, it's a beautiful story. You know, you're a columnist too, as well. You're a writer. And have you written about this? I'm sure you have. You know what? No, I've never written about raspberry wisdom in my column. I, I think my column demonstrates raspberry wisdom, but I've never actually explicitly spoken mm. to it. Mm. This is, I think, only the second time that I have a public interview um, or talk about it. Wow. I have spoken a little bit about it on my social media. And it was nice to all of a sudden receive a, a huge cheerleading squad from the world around me yeah. to really insist that I take this forward. One of the things that I, I did, if I may share a little story. Yes. My first full-time day in the office was March 8, okay. 2018. March 8 is uh, perhaps not coincidentally International Women's Day. And I walked in with two very tough men in our, into our Beirut office carrying kilos of notebooks because I had, with my team, designed Raspberry Wisdom notebooks in okay. celebration of International Women's Day. I just walked into the office for the first time with these notebooks in hand. I have a poem that's written in the cover of the notebook that invites everybody who receives a notebook, that you don't need to have brain surgery to learn that raspberry wisdom sits right within you. You just need to start really being you and, and believing in you. And I just mailed it out. I mailed out like 200 copies. I had strangers on my social media message me in my inbox and say, could I also receive a copy? <laughs> everybody who wanted one got one. I just think that, yeah, I just wanted to share that little story with you. That's the type of fun and energy and commitment that raspberry wisdom sometimes looks like. Yeah. Thanks for sharing it. If you had the power to change one thing in the world, what would it be? In a way, your question is a very straightforward one. Because when I say that I believe in peace in the Middle East, I usually find myself against a lot of skeptics. Right. Peace is a dreamy, non-existent, utopic, theoretical, ideological concept. But I have seen peace in different forms, in different capacities. In the work that I have done, in a falling ill and healing, peace comes in many different shapes and sizes. I think if there was one thing I would like to change in the world, is that we all are not by default skeptics of peace, but believers of peace and enablers of peace. It gets a lot easier to build peaceful communities, societies, and nations when you're not surrounded by skeptics that just dismiss it as a theoretical concept. Yeah, well put. You know, just to close this off, I wonder what inspires you? You know, do you have favorite things that you do or read uh, or listen to that you would recommend for others? Because you're a very inspiring person yourself anyway. And it's always good for me to find out what inspires an inspiring person because it must be amazing. So I wonder what inspires you. There's a practice that I've adopted that makes it easy to receive inspiration. And it's very simple. Be open to being positively surprised. I was in bed and thinking about how um, I'm, I'm responsible for a lot of people. But I kind of missed the point because the mindset that I had meant that I didn't trust they could continue without me. Maybe I just needed to shift things and 
actually trust my friend's family that of course they are capable. Mm. And then it becomes a lot easier to take responsibility for your own healing process. I think you need to be open to positive surprises of those around you. You need to start to appreciate when somebody puts that extra effort and a stranger looks at you and, and smiles don't just think, oh, that's sweet. Think that's courageous. Mm. That's intentional kindness. I want to take that in. I think also being a builder of many things, I have the problematic of being a perfectionist. It's very easy to not take a moment to just celebrate a victory. Yeah. So one of the things when you're in bed is you start to celebrate. I took 10 steps. <laughs> I took 11. Yeah. I was able to get into bed by myself. I was able to hold my fork steady. You start to celebrate the little things that you take for granted. And those become beautiful surprises. And then there's lots of victories to celebrate every day. So even if it's tough, even if it is a lot more than one can handle, I think it's important to break it down and not bundle everything into pain, even if it's growth pains. But just really accept the positive surprises. I think... That needs to become a habit in every one of us. I think I just want to speak to um, a very important positive surprise that many of us in Lebanon are experiencing today. My country is really proving what it means to positively surprise ourselves. The youth, the women, the army, families of all walks of life. We really are coming together. And the revolution that is in the streets of Beirut and Junye and Saida and Sur and Trablos and Baalbek, it is an incredible, beautiful surprise that is so natural, like it was always meant to be. And it was always supposed to happen in this way. We were all supposed to be coming together as one, as one Lebanon. And so Really, I mean, in the spirit of raspberry wisdom, I must salute my, my Lebanese citizens, my fellow citizens. Tomorrow is our Independence Day. And it's, we truly feel independent like never before. And it's such a privilege. Well, Lynn, thank you so much. You're such a lovely soul. And it was wonderful to talk to you and spend this time together. So thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. And it was such a pleasure and it was so much fun. 